Welcome back. It's your guest host, Deb Hutton, with you until 6 o'clock this evening. And joining me now, because it's Tuesday afternoon, is Adam Bunch, award-winning author, storyteller, and historian. And he is our host for Weird Toronto History. Hey, Adam, welcome back. Uh, Thanks, as always, for having me. So last week we did Valentine's. This week, Spring Training Edition. Tell us what you got for Weird Toronto History. I'm a big baseball fan myself. Uh, In fact, I'm tonight launching a Toronto baseball history course with my Zium. So uh, I've been digging into some of these uh, strange Toronto baseball history stories. And a lot of my favorites come from sort of the sports early days. Back in the 1800s, cricket, especially in a city like Toronto that was very British, was seen as the respectable sport. Baseball, much more a sport of the working classes. Uh, some sports writers complained that it was a sandlot game played by undesirables. And sort of in the early days of professional baseball in Toronto, a lot of the teams were filled with some pretty unsavory characters. They're con artists, alcoholics. One of my favorite is actually the guy who was from Toronto, Arthur Foxy Irwin, uh, who was born here. And on to have a very successful major league career. He's one of the players who gets credited with inventing the baseball glove because he started wearing one after breaking his hand. And sort of later in his career, he came back to Toronto to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs, which was our big baseball team for many, many decades, one of the big minor league teams. Name that decades before the hockey team decided to call itself the same name. And Foxy Irwin was sort of one of the part owners and played shortstop and managed the team all back in the late 1800s when they were playing at a stadium out on the island. Uh, when he eventually left Toronto, this is one of my favorite details of his life, is that he knew he was going to go manage the team in Washington. So throughout that last season in Toronto, he started trading all the team's best players to Washington so that they'd be waiting for him when he got there. But the single most fascinating and uh, sort of strange part of Foxy Irwin's life is how it ended. He found out that he had a terminal case of cancer, was very sick, only had days left to live. Decided to board a ship bound for Boston, uh, where he'd spent much of his life, and then just disappeared off the face of the earth. When the ship arrived in the U.S., he wasn't on board. To this day, no one's entirely sure what happened to him. But some people decided, uh, or think he decided, to end his own life in part because of this terrible secret that didn't come out until he died, which is that he was actually on that ship, it seems, to go visit his secret second family, that he'd been a bigamist who'd gotten married to two different women with uh, two different sets of children. Big scandalous news that didn't even come out until after he died and was only unveiled because his two sons from the two different families both went to visit him at the hospital uh, and left the hospital staff a bit confused and they ended up telling each other about him. Uh, so he's a great example of the kind of ball player who was playing on Toronto ball fields uh, back in those early days. And the ball field at the time for the minor leagues was on the island. Yeah, the team. That's was- so interesting. 
partly owned by this guy Lowell Salmon, who also owned the Toronto Ferry Company. So his idea was to move the team out to the island so that then he could sell two tickets for every game. You'd have to buy a ticket from him to board the ferry and then a second ticket uh, to get into the game. Oh, I love that. Um, and so we also have some other weird things when it comes to baseball here in Toronto. Yeah, maybe one of the single single weirdest is a version of baseball played with donkeys. Uh, it became very popular in the Great Depression. It seems to have invent, been invented by a Canadian. And touring teams of donkeys and ball players would head from city to city. There were a bunch of big games played here, uh, including some big ones for charity involving local politicians uh, who would find themselves, for instance, in one game at Earl's Court Park, uh, all the players were tied to donkeys, who then they'd have to try to coax around the bases after they got a hit. Uh, the fielders had to drag their donkeys to move with them every time they tried to field a ball. The game at Earl's Court Park, uh, one alderman got thrown off his donkey. Uh, there was a clown in the game who just picked his donkey up and tried to run around the bases. Uh, the children in the stands got overexcited and flooded the field with police officers chasing them, trying to keep them from getting trampled. Another game uh, at Oakwood Stadium on St. Clair West uh, featured all the donkeys being named after famous Hollywood stars. And Clark Gable became uh, sort of the MVP of the game there because not a single player managed to ride the donkey to first base successfully because Clark Gable was so good at bucking uh, and throwing the players off his back eventually got in some professional jockeys to try to ride him. Not even they could make it to first base and record a single uh, because Clark Gable was bucking so hard. Uh, so it's a sport that definitely had, even back then, its fair share of animal uh, cruelty complaints. Um, but it's also definitely one of these stranger episodes in Toronto's baseball past. And and was it always for charity, or was it actually something people did on a regular basis? The games I've read about in the Toronto newspapers were uh, all charity games that I've seen so far. But there was not like leagues or anything like that, but certainly a pretty big touring uh, concern across North America, especially during the Great Depression, though it continued uh, long after, too. I'm speaking with Adam Bunch, who is an award-winning author, storyteller, and historian. He joins us every week for a series we call Weird Toronto History. This week, we are talking about spring training as baseball starts to ramp up down in Dunedin. Also, some promotions associated with baseball that are a little odd. Yeah, the king of those was the owner of the Maple Leafs in the 1950s. It was this guy, Jack Kent Cook, who was a local encyclopedia salesman who ended up getting a job for Roy Thompson of Roy Thompson Hall fame, made him a millionaire, so he was able to buy the local team. He tried to turn attendance around with all sorts of strange promotions. He, uh, for instance, gave free tickets, free admission to anyone who showed up on a game, at a game on Friday the 13th with a black cat, uh, which seems like a terrible idea <laughs> for multiple reasons. Uh, he had players do uh, milk cows at home plate uh, as competitions for the crowd, uh, diaper-changing competitions, flagpole sitters and fireworks nights, uh, celebrity guests at the games. 
he would eventually go on to own big American teams, too. He went on to own the Lakers and the Kings and the Chrysler building uh, and uh, never got Major League Baseball to Toronto like he dreamed of. Uh, but my favorite, actually, sort of promotion scheme was even before Jack Kent Cook took over the team, uh, which was the Maple Leafs' very first night game ever. And they were so excited to show off their big new lights at the old Maple Leaf Stadium, which was back on the mainland at the foot of Bathurst Street, that they decided not to start the game until it was fully dark. This was at the end of June, so it stayed light very late. They have the first pitch scheduled until 9.45. But to keep the fans entertained in the meantime, they decided to get a couple of stand-up comedians to open uh, before the game. They ended up running long, and then the game was a slow one, too. So they didn't have first pitch until after 10 p.m. It was only the third inning after 11 p.m. Restless fans started to boo. Uh, later in the game, there's another delay because peanut vendors got into a brawl. So it was after 1 a.m. before the game finally, mercifully, came to an end. Uh, Toronto had lost 8-2. and It was kind of a miserable night at the ballpark uh, that they had hoped would be this big deal showing off these new lights. Uh, Yeah, and it's certainly a strange history that carries on through the Jays, too. Uh, So I'm very excited to share all these stories uh, in this baseball course with my ZM. Fantastic. And speaking of that, you did mention your course. If people are interested, Adam Bunch, where do they find you? You can head to Myzeum of Toronto, Myzeum with a Y, myzeumoftoronto.com for all the info and registration. And we start tonight with our first session over Zoom at 7 p.m. The history of baseball in Toronto. Always a pleasure, Adam. We will talk next week. Thanks so much.